I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Oliver Berkman. He's an author, and his new book is 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. Uh, I really I like that title. As the journalist and highly popular former weekly columnist on psychology for The Guardian, Oliver Berkman points out, the average human life is a mere 4,000 weeks long. The unavoidable reality is that there will never be enough time to do it all. So how do we do what needs to be done, let go of what doesn't, and learn to find joy in the limited time we have? The accelerating pace of life leaves us impatient with experiences we might otherwise enjoy, such as time spent with a toddler or pursuing a once-loved hobby. And we grow so obsessed with planning for an idealized future that we miss the pleasures of the only moment it ever is, this one. His life-changing book is a thought-provoking blend of philosophical musings and practical advice on learning to shed our self-imposed expectations, to come to accept our overflowing email inboxes, ditch our unrealistic bucket lists, and use our precious weeks to build lives of purpose and accomplishment. His work has appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Psychologies, and New Philosopher. Welcome to the show, Oliver. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. All right. I guess overall, your book provides a blueprint for less stressful living. And we don't, as, as I said in the beginning, I guess, uh, we don't have that much time left to do that. Um, so how do we do that? What do we do? How do we begin? <laughs> well, it's a great <laughs> question. The obviously, question. There, are, there, there are lots of... Um, there are lots of tips and techniques that we can talk about and that are in the book, but I think that what comes first is um, it's really a shift of perspective. It's really a question of seeing the truth about the situation that we're in, which is that we are these finite humans with limited time and limited control over time, but in a world of kind of infinite inputs, right? There's never, there's no limit to the number of emails you could receive or the number of demands your demanding boss could make, uh, or the number of exotic travel destinations you might want to visit on your bucket list, right? So we are these limited creatures with um, limitless pressures and opportunities. Something's got to give. Um, and, and yet instead, I think what we, what we mainly do um, is to, you know, pursue ways of managing our time and self-help advice on managing our time that keeps us, that sort of holds out this, this, this fantasy that we might, you know, next week or next year finally get everything in working order so we could do everything. And I think once you, once you drop back down into reality, it's actually really empowering. You know, that's when you can start doing a few, but not all <laughs> of the things well, it, you might I have I think that, uh, that is so important because I think one of the things is it's we, uh, I, you're sort of really, you are really in your book and what you've, as we're talking, you're going, Going against the grain, because always most of these, like the books that we read about what you can do in motivational speakers is all about the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want to do, you know, and uh, it's sort of not telling us, you know, it is time limited and there are certain things that we can only do. There is a season. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but I think there's something, one of those biblical kind of sayings, there is a season for whatever we do. And we've only got 4,000 yeah. weeks, we better think about it, right? So <laughs> uh, I, I really like that approach, though. I, I really, it's, it's very different than, 
than um, I think the going trend with they you know in talking about what you you know yeah. you could do yeah anyway. No, what, yeah, no, well, thank you. And I mean, I, I think one of the things I'm at pains to try to make clear in the book is that it is a, an approach that's against the grain, but it isn't a counsel of despair, right? It isn't about, I think some people think this must mean you have to sort of give up on having a meaningful life. And if I'm really honest, I think sometimes people hear my British accent and then they think, oh yeah, he's one of those Brits who just thinks it's funny <laughs> to say that like everything, everything sucks. But it's not, it's the opposite, right? It's like, that is how to have a meaningful life, I think, is to first of all, give up this impossible quest to do more than any human could do or to have more control over the future than any human could have. And then you get to actually put your time and energy and attention on doing some, a few really cool things. So I think it's like, you know, it's an uncomfortable message, but, the, but there's a big payoff. We have to be efficient. What do you, we, or we have, oh, you say we don't have, we escape the efficiency trap, actually, is what you're saying, and settle. Do what we can do in the time that we have left to do it, <laughs> whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we actually don't even, maybe we don't have 4,000 weeks. How many, I mean, we actually don't know that, right? So, um, Right, and also, like, no, no newborn babies are going to be reading this book. So, like, you know, uh, it's, uh, we're already, all of us, goodness knows, are already some of the way through whatever amount yeah, we are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> we could be halfway there or two-thirds there, or who even knows. <clears throat> Although, you know, you talk about newborn babies, they, uh, they say, or scientists say, that anybody, any baby born today will live to be 100 or 105. You might have to add a few thousand weeks on to yeah, that. Yeah, need a new list. title for later editions. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But you also <laughs> say there are five questions we can ask, okay, to simplify and attain a stressful life. Should we talk about those? Sure, absolutely. You want, shall I? Shall I? Shall I dive into one or two of them? D- um, yeah, dive into the first one. Well, here's one. <clears throat> this is the one. Where is your life or your work? Or where in your life or your work are you currently pursuing comfort? When what's called for is a little discomfort. Well, we, I, I don't know about Brits, but Americans do not like discomfort. They don't like to admit it. They don't like to. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and I, it's probably the same in the UK. I think it's a human universal, really, right? I think that, that we don't want to feel the discomfort. But here's the point. It's not a coincidence that doing the things that matter to us most triggers feelings of discomfort, right? If you already always told yourself you want to write a novel, actually getting down to it is going to be uncomfortable. If you think you might like to really sort of commit to a relationship that you've just begun, uh, it's going to trigger feelings of discomfort to think about it. And it's not like this isn't a coincidence. This is because these things bring us into contact with our limitations. We have to accept the possibility that maybe the novel won't turn out as we hope. We have to accept the possibility that maybe the person you ask to marry you will say no. There's a million different cases, and it's not always just like those big big deal things like the examples I, I just gave. And so just sort of fully being in the moment and accepting the, the limits that we bring to living a meaningful life, it, it feels uncomfortable. And so no wonder we prefer to like go and check Twitter or, um, you know, just scroll through streaming television instead, because it's just like that feels more comfortable. But obviously it's also not a coincidence that what feels comfortable turns out to feel in hindsight, like we 
didn't really use our time or our time on the planet as we so, had wished. So, I mean, what I think is so amazing in my own life, I don't know about you, tell me, but like the amount of discomfort that it takes to stop you doing something that, that you really care about, like it's not very much at all. The, the moment it feels a little bit yucky, it's not about severe pain or anything. The moment it feels a little bit unpleasant, it's incredibly tempting to uh, go and do something else instead. That's true. Okay, so tell me in your life, and then I'll share. I'll, I'll share some of my example. I'll share an example, maybe. But tell me, give us an example in your. Uh, you wrote the book, so give us an example in your life where you know you started doing something that's like really yucky, uncomfortable, but to stop doing that, you did. Maybe well, you didn't really do obvious. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The really obvious example, and if you want me to start talking about my like intimate life, I can. But let me stick for mm-hmm. now to my work life and talk about um, <laughs> and talk about writing. I mean, people it, writing stuff that you want to be good and that you want uh, to move people and affect people. Um, it's a little bit uncomfortable because you can't guarantee when you're sitting down at the computer to write another few hundred words of this chapter that that's how it'll. That's how it'll go. People, a lot of people sort of complain about writer's block. Uh, and I think a lot of the time all they're doing is they're, they're confusing the feeling of writing with having some kind of special problem. They're like, oh, no, I've got writer's block. No, it's just that actually at least at first, putting things into words that you care about in the hope that other people will care about them too, the stakes feel quite high and it feels a little bit uncomfortable. And then, yes, absolutely, one browser tab away, is my Twitter account where I can like watch two people having a pointless fight or see a funny video. I mean, who wouldn't want to to go and do that instead? Um, But what I have found, and it's part of the experience that I hope I convey in this book is, you know, it's so worth hanging out with that discomfort almost always because it is not, it feels like it's about to be terrible and intolerable, but it really isn't. And it soon dissipates anyway and if you can cultivate just five percent more ability to hang out with the feeling of discomfort instead of letting it sort of dictate your behavior i honestly think that's kind of like a superpower so that's always worked for you i'm assuming that i mean it's it's been a long journey and i certainly am not going to claim to anybody listening to this that i have now achieved perfection in any of these areas but yeah i mean what i have learned more and more I feel like as I get older is like try not to run away from things at the first sign of discomfort and you're usually very pleasantly surprised. What what about, maybe this comes into one of the next questions, but what about when people do the opposite? They keep pursuing something that, and with, I keep going back to that 4,000 weeks, you have 4,000 weeks and you keep doing the same thing over and over again that's that's not working because you're afraid to let, because it's maybe too, uh, you feel in so much discomfort about letting go that you didn't achieve what you were supposed to achieve or what you think you could achieve when in reality you're never going to be able to achieve it. Because that's another right. scenario. And I think, well, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, that sort of is the, the mirror image of the same the same thing. And the classic case here, you know, is that people people sort of make impossible demands of, of relationship partners quite often. They sort of hope that the latest person they're dating will, will um, save them from themselves or, or help them get over their particular issues that would probably be better dealt with in therapy. And then when 
that fails, they assume that the problem was that they weren't compatible and they must go and look for someone else. And you get into this sort of cycle of constantly sort of shopping around, waiting for the, the person who is perfect in these uh, ways instead of seeing the truth, which is that obviously, you know, uh, uh, nobody is perfect. And that doesn't mean there aren't better and worse relationship partners to people. There definitely are. But that, you know, if you're, if you're measuring reality and real people against a, a sort of fantasy of perfect control and perfect, uh, you know, knowing what you're doing in life, fantasy is always going to win. Well, are we always, or very often, we're imperfect people thinking that we deserve the perfect person, which doesn't really make sense, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, yes, yes, there's that as well, definitely. Yes, definitely. So, yeah, so, um, well, it's kind of, here's a question that you asked. I'm going on to the next one. In what ways have have you yet to accept the fact that you are, maybe we have been talking about this, that you are who you are, not the person you think you ought to be? I think that's a big issue, especially today. Especially, and I always talk about this, you know, the internet and Facebook, and we see all this stuff that, oh, my God, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. What's, you know, I could do it if I wanted to, but I'm not doing it. Um, but we really can't do it, whatever that is, or trying to live up to some expectations that really don't exist for us. Right, right, right. I mean, there's sort of two ways I think about this, I guess. And one is the one you're talking about. Uh, you know, you, you're seeing the sort of inf- Instagram influencers and wanting to have their lives. But, well, firstly, you're not actually seeing their lives. You're seeing their, their presentation of the best and shiniest parts of their lives. So you really are not comparing uh, apples with apples if you're going to try and make your real life uh, match up to a, a curated performance. And then there's this phenomenon where we just internalize other people's agendas, right? I mean, we, most of us, I think, spend a lot of our lives, uh, certainly our early adulthood, either trying to fulfill what we think are our parents' ambitions for us, or perhaps rebelling with every bone in our body against what we think are our parents' ambitions for us. But either way, like someone else is kind of steering the ship. And I think part of sort of growing growing up uh, in a way is um is is sort of learning to be okay with the fact that there are versions of you that that are not ever going to come into being uh and there might be people in your life who are disappointed by that but uh it doesn't mean that that it wasn't the right thing for you to do to 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 to, to follow your own uh, your, your your own interests and your own uh, passions so the next one is, how would you spend your days differently? These are your questions. Uh, if you didn't care so much about seeing your actions reach fruition. Yeah, I think this is a, a fascinating one because I think that it's just quite subtle. But I think a lot of people and a lot of us a lot of the time, we sort of judge whether something's worth doing by whether it's going to bring results that we're going to we're going to get to see. And the, the contrast that I use in the book with that is um, someone built, I grew up in a town in England called York, which has a very uh, famous cathedral in it. it. took many hundreds of years to build. Most of the stonemasons who worked on that building, who were probably religious given the time and given the project and were thinking that they were doing something worthwhile and meaningful uh, in religious terms as well as, as, as a job, like this, these things 
it took hundreds of years to finish. It would have been no good at all to say, well, I'm not going to do this if, it's, if I don't get to be at the opening ceremony <laughs> um, because it's just not, not how the project works. And I think a lot of things today are like that. Most obviously, I suppose, kind of political and charitable activism. Like, I mean, to pick the most obvious, one of the most obvious examples at the moment, if you're dedicated to... Uh, doing your part to fight uh, climate change, just to, just to pick that example. I mean, you, you, it's not going to be a great plan to be like, well, I'll only do it if I get to see that it, um, that it finished. And you could say that child rearing is a job like this too, right? I mean, we, we want to give our um, kids the, the best start in life and we want them to be successful by some, by some definition of the word successful, but... Uh, by definition, in the in the when things uh, you know uh, in the the normal case, uh, we will very much hopefully be gone before them and before they we we know whether how it all turned out. So I think that's a really important one to be able to slightly let go of needing to know that you'll see the results and not using that to define whether something is uh, is worth doing. Well, you need to be a spokesperson for climate change because that's a great example. I haven't actually heard anyone use that example, but uh, I mean, I just bought a new car, which was not an electric car. And my oldest son was, why did you do, I bought it because Matthew McConaughey had advertised it and I like him, but it was, and that, um, it was, <laughs> so that was an effective marketing tool, but anyway, and I promised I'll get least, rid of at least it. You, at least you know yourself. That's fine. That's I true. do know myself. Right. Exactly. I got hooked in. Right. And, uh, but I'll sell it in two years and, you know, get an electric car, but that, that's because, and he's always, you know, climate change is one of his issues that he works on and with, but that's a really good example. The one you gave about your, and I have been to that, to York and there's a big, um, Wall, isn't there? I think I walked along the wall around the the, the city. Yeah, um, we we yeah. got a cathedral and and the city walls. Yeah, we got. Yeah. Uh, if you want old buildings, that's the place to be. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so they, but that sort of making that um, liking that to climate change, and that's true. I mean, throughout history, building big buildings and building cathedrals, and they were never finished for many of them for hundreds of right. years. Right. But that's why we don't seem to do anything as individuals about climate change. I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I think your argument is a really good one. Um, um, thank you. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's, 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 it's going to become more and more important, I think, to, to be able to disconnect a little bit from the, from the outcomes. Now, okay, so we, have a, we don't have that much time left. Let's talk about it in all of this in the context of the pandemic, because yes, we had time to sit and are literally be isolated in quarantine <laughs> and wherever we were for a year. And now we're re-emerging. Um, how do you think, has that changed us? Do we have, is there, I mean, we, it has changed us, but how do we look at ourselves differently in terms of how we spend our time and what we, and how we, and how we spend our time? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's had an enormously clarifying effect for many people. Um, <clears throat> I'm not one of those people who sort of wants lockdown to continue and, and really likes the, the, the lifestyle. But I do think that we've learned something very important from it and that aspects of it were, were positive. So firstly, this is not positive, but firstly, just the sheer fact of all the death and bereavement, I think, has, has really 
switched people onto the, the fragility and the preciousness of life. Then there were all the things that we missed doing. You know, I, I didn't realize how much I was going to miss um, singing in an amateur choir because I'm really not a good singer. But, uh, <laughs> but and when, when singing in a choir suddenly became the, the, one of the worst possible things you could do <laughs> because of COVID, um, I was really shocked at how much I had, I had uh, clearly I had gained from, from that experience now that it was taken away from me. And then on the other hand, you know, I think a lot of people who were obliged to like, well, I guess I just have to do some gardening in the backyard. I guess I just have to hang out with my kids in the park because there's kind of nothing else to be done. Um, baking bread, you know, suddenly everyone got into baking bread, I remember. Um, there are these kind of small pleasures that I think did bring people's attention back to the idea that maybe the the rat race, you know, the idea that we're all climbing some mountain and eventually we're going to get to fulfillment at the end of it, that, that actually we maybe just had to seek the fulfillment we could have here and now. And that's not to, you know, this has been very, very dependent on your socioeconomic situation. Not, not everyone got to just hole up at home and, uh, and, and do gardening and bread making. But, but I think as a society, there is this opportunity to sort of ask, um, I saw one, one person, not me, but one other writer, compare it to Marie Kondo. You know, it's like, okay, what do we actually want to put back into our lives now that we're, we're, um, we're returning to normal? Like, what sparks joy and, and what might it be time to, uh, to discard in terms of how we use our time? Right. I mean, that's really well said. Uh, two minutes left. So give us 4,000 weeks time management for mortals. And we've been talking to Oliver Berkman. Um, what website and or websites can we go to to continue the the dialogue and to read your books well you can find out much more about the book and about me in general at uh, 4000 weeksbook.com that's 4000 weeksbook.com or that's just really a part of my website which is oliver berkman b-u-r-k-e-m-a-n.com great thanks so much oliver for being on the show today it's been a pleasure thank you it's been great thank you I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 